Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from May 17th by Pastor Randy, titled, It's Time to Fight the Right Battle. Uh, John 10.10 says this, The thief comes on to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that they might have life and might have it abundantly. So Jesus has come to give us a full life, but there's an enemy who opposes that. That's the reality in which we live in. It's so easy for us, though, to get caught up in our normal daily activities, get caught up in going to work, going to school, relationships, and and everything else, and lose sight of this reality. But the truth is, the church has always existed and will always exist into a state of spiritual conflict. So we're in a battle. But the good news is the war has been won. We are fighting from a position of victory. We are fighting with the strength of God. We we know that, that God has already overcome. But we still must fight. Okay, so if you'll take that first couple of minutes there and just use that like a nutshell and just store it in your brain somewhere and just let that be the, the truth in which you hear rest of the sermon. Because we're going to be talking about something specific today and I hope this will, keeping this in back of your mind will, will, will help you understand this better. So we're going to begin talking about Matthew 16 where Jesus wants to have a conversation with His disciples but He wants to do it in a specific place. And it's significant where he takes his disciples to have this conversation because he takes them to Caesarea Philippi. Now, Caesarea Philippi, in that day, you know, there's lots of gods everywhere and certain little cities and pockets had their own little gods. Well, Caesarea Philippi had its own little idol, its own little god that they worshipped, and it was the god of Pan. Uh, Pan's a Greek word, where we get our word panic from. And so this worship utilizes fear and power and sex and prostitution and bestiality and child sacrifice. It was just not a pretty place to be and it was a very spiritually dark place to be. And so Jesus takes his disciples to this spiritually dark, wicked, evil place and he says to them, hey, who do people say that I am? What's the word on the street about me? Because people don't want to tell you face to face a lot of times. So he asks his disciples, what are they saying? And they say, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, some Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. But then he gets personal. He says, who do you say that I am? And I can imagine they just sort of sort of hem-haw around and look down and going, they're probably all thinking, Peter, you say something. You always do, Peter, so you say something. And Peter does. He speaks up. And this is what Peter says in verse 16. Of Matthew 16. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, you didn't get this on your own, Simon. And then verse 18, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. Here's why geography matters. Jesus reveals himself and the prophecy concerning the church through this confession of Peter. And he doesn't do this in Jerusalem. He doesn't do this 
by the Sea of Galilee, these places would be safe and comfortable. No, he goes to a spiritually dark, wicked place, and he says, this looks like a good spot. Now let me tell you who I am, so you know who I am, and what the church is going to be about. That the church is going to be built, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. And we need to hear that. The reason we need to hear that is because we get in the mindset today of, of the, the world is coming against the church, and, and which it is, you know, Satan does attack the church, but what Jesus offers us is another perspective that we often lose sight of, we often forget, we often go through our, our daily lives not only not aware there's a battle going on, but not aware of this aspect of the battle that's going on. And that's this, Jesus pictures death and hell and evil like a city. And it has gates all around it. And the church is on the outside pushing against those gates, pounding against those gates to get in and take that territory, to take over what evil has, what death has, and all these things that sin has caused, to go in and take that back over for Christ. That's how he pictures it. And so often we see the church as being attacked. We go, oh, poor us. Look what's happening to us. Look all around what's going on. But Jesus says you need to look at things from a different perspective. Because see, one perspective is that the church is on the defense. The other perspective is that the church is on the offense. And those are completely different. When a church is on the defense, it's about stopping something. When a church is on the offense, it's about starting something. One has a position of maintaining things. The other has a position of advancement. And so many times I talk to people and they grew up in church where it was all about defense. This is what we're against. You know, you're going to be a Christian, then you're not going to smoke, you're not going to drink, you're not going to get a tattoo, and you're not going to listen to rock and roll music, especially if you play it backwards. That was a thing when I was a kid. Uh, had a song, Another One Bites the Dust. Have you all ever heard that? All right, well, you play it backwards, apparently it says, and to some degree, start smoking marijuana or something like that. But, but anyway... Uh, the church is about all these things that, that we don't do, the things that, that we're not a part of. This is what we're against. But that's now how, how the early church impacted the world. You look back through history at times when the church has impacted the world, uh, or especially in the first couple of centuries when the church just totally changed the world, and it wasn't because Christians had this attitude of, stop doing this, just don't do that, just stay away from this. No, it's because they took the love of Christ to the, wor- to the world, and they understood the power of the gospel. That's what changed the world. They had this different perspective about it. When the church is playing defense... The church tends to be known by what we're against. But when the church is playing offense, we tend to be known by changed lies and the power of the gospel. So one emphasizes just maintain, just maintenance and maintain yourself. Let's not try and, and, and give up any more ground. Let's just huddle up together and hope things don't get worse. And one is a position of advancement. Let's go into what evil has and let's go in and let's take it over. Let's do something about it. So we live, I think, in these incredible times of opportunity. Different perspective. Because so often we hear, oh, it's so scary out there. Look what's happening. Look at how the world is attacking the church. And look how morally everything's declining and it's getting worse and worse. But there's another point of view to have. And that is all the opportunity that's around us. To have the effect that Jesus meant when he said a church will, will go against the, the, the gates of hell and it will prevail. Uh, 
I'll give you an example uh, of what's going on today. Uh, June 6, 1944. That was D-Day. Yeah, some of you are with D-Day. You may not know it. You may, you may not have studied history, but it's when we, along with other forces, invade the beaches of France. Uh, but what most people don't realize is that for the first couple of years of World War II, we were, as a country, we had what we called a neutral position. We didn't want to get involved. That was another continent. That was another place. That's those people. That's their mess. That's their issues. Let them deal with their mess. Let them clean it up. We had people who were isolationists, and they said, it's not affecting our security. It's not affecting our freedom. Just, just stay out of it. But soon it became apparent that Hitler wasn't going to stop. That he was going to keep on going till he had taken over the world, essentially. And so on D-Day, we joined 150,000 other forces and got in those Higgins boats. There's like over 5,000 Higgins boats. These little small boats with high sides. They could hold a lot of troops. They just stood there side by side and landed on the beaches of France. Now, maybe you come to the place where so many churches are at and when it comes to standing against darkness, when it comes to standing against the moral decay of this world, have a view of complacency. Like we did when World War II started. Hey, you know, we're doing okay. Let's just, let's just try and, and, and maintain. After all, it's scary out there. We don't want to get involved in that. We want to stay over here. Why do we want to get involved in a battle like that? Why would we want to risk our lives, risk the blood of our young men to go over there and fight something like that? Let's just stay over here. A type of attitude of complacency, a neutral position. But you can't engage evil. You can't do anything about evil unless you engage it. And what we need to realize is that that's what we were created for as a church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's what we were meant to do. We were meant to engage that. We are, we are to be a part of something that can't be stopped. And, and we look over there and we go, wow, man, they've got some big guns. They've got some great fortifications. They've got thousands and thousands of landmines everywhere. And, and I'm not sure if we can do this. Now, we were to be a part of something that says, hey, we can't be stopped. We have a God who, who, who's in control, a God who's sovereign, a God who cannot be stopped when he wants to advance. Let me read you Romans 16, verse 20. It says this. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That will happen. Victory is inevitable. Nothing can stop it. And so knowing that, we need to have a different mindset as a church. We need to have a different viewpoint, a different perspective when it comes to our relationship to the world and the evil that's in it. That we have a God that, that can't be stopped. That... Government can't stop us. Persecution can't stop us. Precious can't stop us. Nothing can be stopped. I was trying to think of illustrations of this. And, and uh, the illustration that came to mind, you're going to have to forgive me here, some of you guys, but it was LSU's football team this past year. Okay. They had an offense that couldn't be stopped. They had a team that couldn't be stopped. You may slow them down for a little bit, but they're going to score. They're going to win. 
I was walking to Bass Pro yesterday, day before yesterday, and I had an LSU shirt on. It's just a white shirt, just had a little LSU thing right here. And a guy saw that. He goes, Go dogs! And Georgia Bulldogs, another team in the SEC, for those of you who don't know. And I just had to give him this look of pity. It's, it's that same look when you happen to score a first class seat on the airline and you got to watch all those people walk past you to go to coach and you sort of give them that look of pity. You know, it was that sort of thing. Because not only after what we did to them in the championship totally crushed them, but it's the idea is that, man, we had a team that couldn't be stopped. Now, that's a secular illustration. Let me give you a biblical illustration of what's going on here. Paul, he's in Ephesus. And he's in Ephesus and he's right in church in Corinth. Now, Ephesus was a metropolitan city, had about 250,000 people in it. It was like the Disney World of its day. They had the Temple of Artemis there that was one of the wonders of the world. Uh, probably no city has been excavated, no city in antiquity anyway has been uh, excavated as much as Ephesus has. Uh, it's, it's at least in the top three. And so Paul's in Ephesus. And while he's in Ephesus, he writes back to the church. He writes to Corinth. And this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 8. But I shall remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a wide door of effective service has opened up to me. A wide door of, accept, of effective service. Does that mean, Paul, that they love you? Does that mean, boy, they're just helping you start churches and things are going like crazy, that the people just love you there and everything's so easy? That's not what Paul, that's partially what Paul is saying. But also understand the other background in this. Ephesus was the area in which they worshiped the idol, the, the god of Artemis. And so you had these people in Ephesus, a good many of them, they were always making idols to this god Artemis. So they'd make little bit of idols, you know, you put them around your neck, hang them on your chariot, things like the pit of your chariot, whatever it may be, things like that. Man, when Paul came along and started preaching the gospel, the idol sales dropped off. So much so that they started to riot. And so you have 40,000 people in this Colosseum in Ephesus, and they're all shouting for two hours, greatest Artemis of Ephesians, greatest Artemis of Ephesians. For two hours they're shouting that. So this is what else Paul writes. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 16, 9. For a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Seems like a paradox. You see the contradiction? Paul is saying there's this great opportunity in the midst of all this opposition. So here is Paul getting all this opposition. He, the, the, all these people are, are riding against us. And, and Paul doesn't... Well, this is terrible. I'm scared. We just need to go somewhere else. No, that's the confidence he has in the power of the gospel. He sees the church as coming against the, the city of evil and of death. And, and he just sees it coming and coming and making advancement. That's the confidence he has... In the power of the gospel. You see, because there's a whole different mindset today. The other mindset is, is let's come, let's make church as entertaining, as comfortable as possible. And that will get more people to come to church if we do that. Let's make it like a cruise ship. You know, where people just come and it's sort of entertaining and comfortable to them. And, and that's some people's idea of church. But listen, you can't storm the beaches of France in a cruise ship. You've got to be in a Higgins boat. Okay? 
You've got to have a different mindset if you're going to do anything about the evil in the world. You can't just stay hurled, hurled up. You have to take the, the power of the gospel. You have to take the confidence you have in God and His ability to, to win over evil. He's already won the war. His ability to help you in the battles. And you've got to take that to these pockets of evil. Now listen, we don't take that to the world out of anger and hatred and raising our fist and pointing our finger. No, we take it with, with love, with grace and humility. But that's what God has called us to do. That's the mission of the church. And I wonder what it's going to be like for us if we continue to miss that. If we continue to have the, the, the wrong perspective about things. Back in Exodus... When God delivers the Hebrews out of Egypt, He gives them His plan to build a tabernacle. So Moses goes to the people and he says, here's God's plan to build a tabernacle, a place for His presence to, to dwell. And here's what God wants to do and here's how God wants to do it. You need to give. And the people just gave. Moses didn't get on a Sinai TV network and say, if you don't give right now, the tabernacle show is going off the air. He didn't get on a Sinai TV network and say, you got to give now. And if you do, you get this commemorative little picture of the Ten Commandments you can hang on your wall or put on your chair or something like that. No, he just said, you need to give. And the people gave and they gave abundantly. So much so that Moses came to the place where he said, stop, we have more than enough. Stop giving. Now, can you imagine being one of those Hebrews that when Moses said, here, you need to give, that said, yeah, it's not a good time to give. Not for me. These are very trying times. And, and I don't know what's coming next. It's kind of you know unpredictable what's going to happen out here in the desert. So I better just keep my stuff and keep myself safe and my family safe. And I don't know if I want to. It's just not a good time for me to give. How do you think that guy felt when the glory of God filled up those gifts? And he had to look at that tabernacle and know the glory of God was in there. And he didn't do a thing to give to it. How do you think he felt? How do you think a lot of the church is going to feel when we get to heaven and we see the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ and the glory of the church and to know that all we did was just want to huddle up and stay safe? What Jesus said the church was supposed to be about, we didn't have any part of that at all. We didn't go out and build the church. We just sort of huddled in and stayed inside the, these four walls. That, that, that's all we did. A lot of, of that type of attitude, I think, just prevails in, in a lot of people today. And, and so a lot of people, they just want to stay away from the church. But what did Jesus say? He said, I will establish my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Do you realize that's a prophecy? Do you realize that we're a part of fulfillment of the prophecy? Us 50-something people in here right now, we're a part of that fulfillment of prophecy. That was made 2,000 years ago. We're a part of that. It's a prophecy that's just as critical, just as important as anything given to Abraham or David or Moses. We are a part of that. 
But still, we have a whole lot of people that don't like the church. Politicians don't like it because we don't pay taxes. Some people were hurt very deeply by somebody in the church, and so they see everybody in church as phony, and so they just stay away. Some people think the church is always trying to push their agenda and their values on the world, and they don't like that, so they stay away. They don't like the church. The church often gets a raw deal in media today. It's, if you go into movies and TV shows, the church is portrayed of, of fun-hating people full of hypocrites. You watch the, the news outlets. And anytime they sensationalize something that goes on in church, they'll do it. You read the headlines, Senator who campaigns for family values has an affair. Priest molesting a child. Or a church leader caught embezzling funds. And so the church gets attacked. And those attacks aren't only coming from on the outside. Some of them come from the inside. There's been some influential people who's written books talking about how a church is basically ineffective and irrelevant, irrelevant today. And then what I sometimes hear, well, I love God, just don't love the church. Just don't want to be a part of an organized church. I love Jesus, but I don't want to be a part of the church. Well, you got the wrong Jesus then, because Jesus loved the church. Jesus gave himself up for it. You can't separate the bride and the bridegroom. You have, we have to understand God's goal for the church. Uh, and as we emerge from this time of quarantining, from this COVID virus, I want us to hear Jesus say, come take a walk with me. And hear him take you to a very evil and dark place and say, this will do. Now let me tell you what I want the church to be about. Maybe it's time we change our perspective. That we have a different perspective. So, let me get personal with you 50, 49 plus people in here. Okay. Back about a year ago, roughly a year ago, I was approached by a friend who had a friend who wanted to talk about coming up here and doing a revival up here. And I wasn't really excited because we haven't done revivals type things in a long time. And first one coming in the summer and you know, summer in Alaska, our people aren't going to be there. They're going to be gone. I'll be gone probably if I have an opportunity to be gone. I won't, probably won't be there. So a very difficult time. Uh, anyway, he sort of put that on the back burner and I didn't think about it a whole lot. And then I talked some more about him and talked some more with him in uh, late December, January, something like that. And, and I didn't even bring it up to the staff for, for a long time because I was just very skeptical of the whole thing. Then in March, when I was down on vacation down south and all the virus stuff hit, I, I'd met this guy who'd be preaching the revivals. I'd met him before, and, and, but I'd spent a couple hours with him at his house and um, just, I don't know, the wall started breaking down is, is the thing that, that I could say. Uh, but the, probably the truth is God started dealing with me because as pastor, you want to be able to, to know where your church is at and what they need, right? You want to be able to speak to what's going on today and speak to their lives to get them to go into the next place. You want to spiritually guide the people. And so when it comes to the coronavirus, I'm going, okay, here's what I believe God's saying to the church as a whole. And, and I knew that. But what about our church? 
You know, what about Grandview Baptist Church? And so I, I begin to think about this. And, and, and so I begin to, to think, you know, I think God could be in this. And so the pastor that, that's coming, if everything works out all right, as far as all the quarantine and all that, uh, will we'll be here the second week of July. And, and he is the pastor who's probably done more to, I was going to say make the church offensive, but that's not the word I want to use, <laughs> to, to, to build a church that was on the offense than any other pastor in our, in our culture has done. He, he is, his church uh, took the gospel out to the community uh, just in, in great ways. And so right now he's planning on being here, uh, at least my last update, uh, in that second week of July, and we'll have what we have. He said, I don't care if there's ten or 10,000. I'm still going to be excited about preaching. I'll still have the same passion regardless. Uh, so he's going to be here. And, and so I, I look at what uh, what God is saying to, to our church, not just the church as a whole as a culture, but to our church. It's time that we get more serious about not being so in a defense mode, but going more on offense, taking the good news of the love of Christ and the power of the gospel to the world because that's what Jesus called us to do. That's the very heart of our DNA. To be people who take the evil and the death and all the sin and destruction of the world. And we're not just sitting back here going, oh, they're, they're lobbing things to us. No, we take the gospel knowing that, that nothing can stand against it, against the gospel and the power of God. And we take that and we tear down those walls. We, we go against that in the community that's all around us. And we bring people to know Christ. So that's what's going on. Now, let's just end this, get close to end this. Let me make this personal for you. Hear Jesus say to you, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Not what social media says. Not what your family says. But who do you say that I am? What are your convictions, in other words, when it comes to Jesus? Is He Lord and Lord of your life? Do you surrender to Him? Do you obey Him? Who is He to you? Because so often, people when they come to church, they just want to come to church for an information download. They just maybe want to know something, how to make their marriage better, how to make their week better, something like that. But Jesus, he takes South side and says, let's get personal with this. And Jesus wants it personal with you. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who is he in your life? So what do you say about Jesus? And will you stop making church? Because we can't be corporately, we're not individually, Right? Will you stop making church a place where we're playing defense and going, oh, it's so scary out there. I mean, they've got these fortresses and what might, they might say something about this. They might shun me. Can, can we just stop being on defense and for a while realize that for, with the love of Christ and the power of the gospel, we can go on offense and actually see lives changed out in the world? Can we take that, take that idea that Paul had of all, all this great opposition is here, but what a great opportunity. And see so many lives changed that the, the evil forces in our city have to wake up? Can that happen with a group of 48 people? I guess it depends on what you believe about God, doesn't it? I guess it means what you believe about the power of God. 
One person could affect the city of 250,000. Apparently Paul did that in the day of Ephesus. What could we do if we just took one or two or three people and we took the power of the gospel and the love of Christ and took that to them in their life? Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org. Thank you.